Thanks for watching today at wildwoodchurch.com. Now here's today's message. All right. Well, that's a little bit exciting, isn't it? As you can tell, VBX is kicking off tonight, actually, with our family event at the uh, Whitewater Junction. And by the way, it's not too late to sign up for that. Yes, it is a little bit chilly, but as long as it's not raining and they're not closed, then we're going to be there because we paid for it, and that's the plan. And uh, someone pointed out that the cooler the air is, the warmer the water is going to feel. So uh, there's still about 100 spots available. Uh, we invite you. It's not just for, for families with, with children and the kids' ministry. We invite you to come. It's a church event. Uh, you can get your free tickets uh, this morning out in the fireside room, so please join us on that. It's a great way to connect uh, with people. Again, it's free. You do need a ticket, <clears throat> and you can grab those in the uh, fireside room. I wanted to step out of Romans this morning because this week our kids are going to be taught what it looks like to follow Jesus. Our kids are going to be taught this week what it looks like to go all in for Jesus. They're going to learn what it looks like, what we mean when we say every member a missionary taking the gospel across the street and around the world. And I thought to myself, what a shame if our children really internalized that vision and they went home to parents who did not. What a shame it would be if, if our kids um, outdid us in faith. Now, do we want our kids to go further than we go? Absolutely. But we don't want our children to outdo us in faithfulness to Jesus in service to the Lord, in obedience to him. Amen? And so I thought, well, why don't we take the theme verse for this week, what our kids are going to be learning all week, Hebrews 12, 2. You can turn your Bibles there. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Take this one verse, and for us to begin to wrestle with what, what does it look like to keep our eyes on Jesus as we follow him in obedience. So here, let's go to, uh, to Hebrews Chapter 12, verse 2. Let's read, then I'll pray, then we'll jump in and dissect this verse bit by bit. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for your goodness, your grace. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to lead these children in, in study, in worship. And I pray, Lord, that, that these kids would catch the vision, ever remember a missionary. That they would say, it's up to, to, to me, it's up to us to take the gospel across the street and around the world. And I pray, Father, that you would do a mighty work in the lives of, the, of these kids that are going to be coming this week. But Lord, I pray for the adults in this room right now and those that are watching online, that we would set the pace, we would set the tone, that we would demonstrate what it looks like to follow Jesus with our eyes on him. Lord, help us to be found faithful and help us to lead the next generation into faithfulness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So in Hebrews 12, we see this continuation of what has happened in Hebrews chapter 11. The author of Hebrews had just described what is known as the Hebrews Hall of Faith. Hebrews 11 is known as the Hebrews Hall of Faith. In verse 1 of chapter 12, he says, Therefore, since we have been surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the 
so great a cloud of witnesses are all the faithful men and women that he's just described in Hebrews 11. Those who have gone before us, those that have been faithful, even though they did not ever get to see Jesus, the object of of their faith, they never got to see him with their own eyes. And yet these men and women served faithfully, looking forward to the Messiah that God would send, hoping that it would happen in their lifetime, but alas, it did not. In light of their witness, in light of their faithfulness, the, Hebrew, the author of Hebrews says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin and run with endurance the race that is set before us. In other words, let us live our lives, or that's what it means by run our race. It means live our lives. Let's live our lives with as much faith as those who never saw Jesus. So you and I have seen Jesus, maybe not with our eyes, but he dwells in our hearts. We believe the gospel. We hear the, we hear the, the witness, the testimony of the church for the last 2,000 years. We know Christ. We have his indwelling Holy Spirit. So let us, who have the indwelling Holy Spirit, who know Jesus personally, live with as much faith as those who only looked forward to Jesus coming. Let us, in fact, live our lives as if Jesus is our Lord and Savior. We call him Lord and Savior. And here the author of Hebrews is saying, live that way. You say that Jesus is your Lord. Live as if Jesus is your Lord. You say that Jesus is your Savior. Live as if Jesus is your Savior. Let us throw off all sin and everything that entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is marked out for us. Let our witness go up to the clouds and be joined together with the witness of those who are long gone Let's throw off whatever, whatever hinders us, whatever entangles us, whatever trips us up. Let's throw that off so that Jesus Christ is our number one priority, that, that the kingdom of God is our number one priority, that nothing distracts us, nothing hinders us in our walk. Whatever keeps us from running with endurance, let us throw that off. But you know, we don't just run aimlessly. We don't just go out for a casual stroll. You know, in a road race, there are signs along the way that tell the runners where they ought to go in order to stay on the course. And if you deviate from the course, you're disqualified in most cases. You know, in our life, the the race that we run, we don't have road signs. There's no clear signs hanging in the sky that say, okay, now, now at this point, go left. Which is why the author of Hebrews says in verse 2, where we begin this morning, he says, looking to Jesus. We don't have road signs. We can't see. It's not clear. It's not written for us in the sky. But we have Jesus. Jesus directs us. And so that is why if we're going to run with endurance, the race set before us, we must keep our eyes on Jesus. Looking to Jesus, he says. Recently, I met with a man who had an opportunity, a business opportunity, come before him. And he and his wife wanted to ensure that, that the two of them were, were 
walking through the right door, that they were doing the right thing, that they were living the way that the Lord wanted them to live, that, they, that if this was going to be what they ought to do, that they knew that, that that would be clear to them. And so I walked them through a couple of things, a couple of gates that, that, that I share with everyone as they seek to discern what is the will of the Lord. But above all, what I encouraged him is to ensure that you remain connected to Jesus. To, I, I assured him that, that if you will keep your eyes on Jesus, if your walk with the Lord is vibrant, is, is regular and consistent, then you will discern whether the Lord wants you to walk through this door or not. And I also cautioned him that if you're not connected to Jesus, if you're not meaningfully uh, praying and, and reading the word on a regular basis, then I would be very hesitant to make major life decisions. Because in a race, there are signs that tell you which way to go. And if you go off course, you're disqualified. And in life, you, you walk away, you, you, you say, I'm going to do things my way. And, and I just want the Lord to bless it. So many people, that's, that's what they conceive of the Christian life. Lord, I'm going to live my life my way, and I just want you to bless it. And I caution this man to not allow himself to wander off the course, but rather to keep his eyes on Jesus. And what does that look like? How do you keep your eyes on Jesus? Well, we know Jesus in the Bible. That, that's how we come to know. That's how we come to understand. That's how we come to, to understand his character and, and who he is and what he said and what he's like so that when, whenever we want something or when we think that, that opportunities are happening or we begin to, to sense something, then we compare that with the Jesus of the Bible. And we say, well, would Jesus of the Bible have me go that direction? And that's a, a good test of our, of our desires of our heart. And then we pray, we present our, our requests to the Lord. We, we come and we vocalize those to the Lord or we write them down. And how many times have you had the experience where you're, you're praying and you're, you're stressing or you're, you're wrestling with something in anxiety and as you pray, you feel the weight being lifted off of your shoulders? Why is that? Because you are laying your burdens down at the feet of Jesus and Peter tells us to do that. He says, cast your anxieties on the Lord for he cares for you. So how do we keep our eyes on Jesus? We're in the word on a regular basis. And, and by regular, I, I mean daily, you know, I'm not legalistically, but I mean, we are creatures of the word. So as, as regularly as you eat, you should feed your soul, right? I don't think that it's not legalistic for us to say you should eat every day. Okay? I don't think it's legalistic to say that you should get in, your, in the word every day okay? and prayer every day. So we keep our eyes on Jesus. We look to him in his word. We, we, look, to, we look to the ones who, who in the Old Testament were being carried along and were being given a vision of the coming Messiah. And, and these are the ones that Hebrews 11 describe. Moses and David and these others, Abraham, who looked forward to this Messiah that, that God was going to send. And then we read the New Testament. We read the Gospels and we, and we read the story of Jesus and who he was and what he said and what he did. 
And then we read the, the letters, the epistles that come after the gospels, the history of the, of the church and Acts, and then the, the letters of how we ought to align our lives, how we ought to live, the choices that we ought to make, how we ought to think. It's called a biblical worldview. How do you discern? How do you obtain a biblical worldview? By reading the Bible over and over and over again. We seek to understand his priorities so that our priorities come into alignment with his. So much, so much of what we wrestle with is really conflicting priorities. There are limited resources, limited time. And so life is all about prioritizing. And how do we make the right priorities? How do we make the right decisions? How do we pursue the right things? Well, we learn what Jesus prioritized. We learn what God prioritizes. What comes to my mind right now is Jesus said in Matthew chapter six, seek first the kingdom of God. The first as in priority. So we align our priorities according to his word. We keep our eyes on him. We pray because God is a personal, knowable, and intimate God. God is not far. God is near. In fact, According to Romans chapter 8, God dwells within the life of a believer, but the Spirit himself dwells within us. He intercedes on our behalf with groanings too deep for words. So we, we pray. Sometimes we don't even know what to pray. I've been there recently. I've said those words. I don't know what to pray. But this verse comes to my mind. The Holy Spirit, when we don't know what to pray. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. How close is God? He dwells within us through his Holy Spirit. He's not far. He's not distant. He's not removed from us. No, he dwells within us. And in fact, he intercedes on our behalf. So we pray because God is knowable. The fact is that we cannot run the race set before us without our eyes on Jesus. You can, you can go through life without your eyes on Jesus, but you can't run the race set before you without your eyes on Jesus. You can go for a stroll, but you can't run the race. You know any marathon runners that take needless excursions? No. They're not just out for a stroll. They, are, they have the finish line in sight. Even if they can't see it because it's around so many different roads and, and buildings, they're focused on the finish line. They're going to stay on the course. And brother and sister, you and I, if we have our eyes on Jesus, we can run the race set before us. But I fear, I fear that so many of us don't have our eyes on Jesus. We have our eyes on anything but Jesus. And we're just out for a stroll. And we're exhausting ourselves and producing very little. Let's get our eyes on Jesus. Amen? Amen. The author tells us to keep our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So Jesus is the founder of our faith. The Greek means originator or leader. Jesus is the author of our faith. You might see that. Maybe, I think that might be the NIV. Jesus is the author of our faith. He's the founder of our faith. He's the foundation of our faith. Jesus is the initiator of our faith. Our faith began with Jesus, not with us. Jesus is the object 
of our faith. It's all about Jesus. If you're not excited about Jesus, then I don't know what you're doing. Right? If, if it's just religion, it's, it's nothing. Jesus is everything. We live for Jesus, not for virtue. We live for Jesus, not for benevolence. We live for Jesus, not for church. We live for Jesus, not for Bible study. Now, Jesus is the head of the church, and Jesus is the subject of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And Jesus not only inspires but commands virtue and benevolence. But it is from obedience to Jesus. And specifically, because we love Jesus, we obey Jesus. It is obedience to Jesus that causes us to pursue benevolence and virtue and Bible study and church. Does that make sense? We live for Christ. And all this other stuff is the fruit of living in obedience to him. He's the founder of our faith. When Paul described our salvation to the Ephesians, he said things like, you were dead in your sin. I asked someone earlier this week, what do dead people do? They do nothing. That's why you can put them in a box and put them six feet in the ground and they stay there and that's not a problem because dead people are dead. They do nothing. That was grotesque, wasn't it? I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't mean to speak lightly. We were dead in our sin. We did nothing to earn our salvation. When, when Paul describes our salvation, he says, but you were made alive together with Christ. You were made alive. That is a passive statement. You didn't, you didn't come alive. You didn't awaken yourself. You didn't quicken yourself. You didn't come alive. No, you were made alive together with Christ. So Jesus is the founder of our faith, the author, the initiator, the originator of our faith. Why are you in the faith? Because of Jesus. Because Jesus made you alive. Because Jesus saved your soul. Because Jesus regenerated you through his Holy Spirit. He is the founder of our faith. But watch this. In that same passage, before Paul moves on from salvation, he goes to works. He says in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, right? That, why are we? Because of him. Right? Why, are, why do we exist as Christians? Why do we exist as followers of Christ? Because of him, we are his workmanship. Now watch, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we might what? Walk in them. So in Ephesians 2.8, Paul says that we have been saved by grace through faith, and this is a gift. All of salvation, your, your entire salvation is a gift from God. Jesus is the founder of your faith. It's all a gift, but it's a gift that comes with purpose. Go back to that, Beth, if you don't mind. 
Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship. He created us. He founded us. He initiated. He originated us in the faith. He brought us from death to life. For, that's a purpose statement, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. Salvation is a gift from God, but it is a gift that comes with a purpose. People, you know, there's so many ways to get this wrong. You know, we can err on the side of of a works-based righteousness, and we can say, well, you know what? It's all about virtue. It's all about benevolence. It's all about Bible study. It's all about church attendance. And if I'm a good enough person, then I'll be saved. But you can go into the other ditch as you court, you ever, ever driving? And you swerve and you realize, oh, I'm swerving and I'm going to course correct and end up in the other ditch? Right, the other ditch is to say, well, I'm saved by grace through faith. God doesn't expect anything out of me now. Now I can just live however I want to because he's the founder of my faith. I didn't do anything. We're saved by grace through faith. And so I don't owe anything to God. No, you were created for good works that you should walk in them. Paul said in Galatians 3, 3, so, so there's this idea that, 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 it's, that this is the beginning. This is the beginning of the faith journey. You, you come to know Christ, you receive salvation, you've been, a, you've been dead in sin, now you're alive in Christ, you've been born again, and, and now there's a journey. And that's kind of what the, that's kind of what the theme is of, of this week in VBX, is, is the journey of faith. And we gotta keep our eyes on Jesus as we're walking in them, walking in those good works prepared for us. In Galatians 3.3, 3, it says, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So the, the temptation here, the reason I bring this out, is the temptation to say, okay, so now I'm on this journey, I've got to figure this life out. I'm a follower of Christ, now I've got to figure this out. I've got to make it work. It's all on me. I know that the Lord wants me to walk in, in, in good works, he wants me to do things, he wants me to honor him, and now i just got to figure it out. And Paul says, are you so foolish? It is foolish to imagine that you look to Jesus, you were, you were saved, you were born again, and then somehow you're going to perfect your faith, you're going to perfect your life, you're going to walk through life without your eyes on Jesus, without the aid of the Holy Spirit. It is foolish, Paul says, for us to imagine that we can walk this life, that we can run this race without our eyes on Jesus, in our own strength and to our own ends. I want you to, uh, folks, I just want, I want to confront here, okay, some paradigms. Many people believe that, you know, what Jesus is about is, is saving you from hell and then you can, he's, he's disinterested beyond that. You can live however you want to live. You can just do what you want to do. And as long as, and as, long as, as you're not doing wrong, as you're not harming anybody, as long as, as, long as you're not you know, committing crimes, well, then you're probably in pretty good shape. You've got, you've got Jesus, you're baptized, and you're an upstanding citizen. What, what more can the Lord want for you or from you? Folks, we're on a journey of following Jesus. God has determined in advance 
good works for you to do that you should walk in them. In other words, the Lord has a plan for your life and he desires that you would actually pursue his will in every part of your life. That you would seek him in every decision. Well, some decisions are too small. Like, I, I, don't need to, I don't need to worry about that. Let me ask you something. Does it occur to you that you should pray about whether you should come to the event tonight? You, you've decided that that's not for me. I'm not, no big deal. It's a water park. It's 70 degrees outside. <laughs> it's for kids. Have, has it occurred to you that you should pray about whether the Lord would have you come to that? What if the Lord has a connection for you at that event tonight that's going to change their life? I was going to say change your life, and it might. But what if the Lord has work for you to do at this place, to connect with a person, the Lord's going to change their life through you? Folks, we ought to, we ought to go through our entire life asking the Lord, okay, do you want me to go left or right? Or straight. You may to go or stop. You may to pause. You may to go faster. You may to go to this event. You may to stay home tonight. You may to be at VBX this week. You may to not. You may to walk through this venture, this business venture. You may to change careers. You may to, Lord, what? Right. Having begun by the Spirit, the Spirit made you alive. The Spirit made you alive in Christ. Now imagine how foolish, foolish it is to try to walk in obedience to Jesus without your eyes on Jesus. Having begun by the Spirit, are you being perfected by the flesh? You think you can be obedient? You, can, you think you can follow Jesus without seeking him? Without your eyes on him? Paul says it's foolishness. Now, Paul, to be fair, in that context, the Galatians were falling back into legalism. But I think that it's applicable for us to say that it, this journey that we're on of faith that began by the Holy Spirit is not going to be completed in our own flesh. That we must have the help of the Holy Spirit to walk faithfully. The author of Hebrews says that Jesus is the founder of our faith and Jesus is the perfecter of our faith. We didn't do anything in our own strength to begin this faith journey. And it's certainly not going to be in our own strength, in our own will, in our own flesh that we complete it. He's the author and perfecter, the author and finisher. He began it and he's going to complete it. The work that God began in us, he will bring to completion. Remember that Paul said in Ephesians 2.10 that we should walk in them. To walk is to, is to live. It's a manner of living. When the Bible talks about walking in sin, it means that we are, we, are, we are immersed in it. And so if we are going to walk in good works, it means that we're immersed in it, that our life is about Christ and about doing what Christ wants us to do. In Hebrews 12.1, we read that we're running a race. In Matthew 4.19, Jesus called his disciples, Peter and Andrew, to come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. 
In Luke 9.23, he broadens that and he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and what? Follow me. What is the essence of the faith? The essence of the faith is follow Jesus. What are we to do as believers in Jesus Christ? We are not to simply sit back passively and wait for life to happen, but rather we are to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and follow him. It requires action. It requires activity. Over and over again this week, our kids are going to hear they're going to learn what it looks like to follow Jesus, not just know about him. We're not, it, it, we're not content to just tell our kids Bible stories so that they know about Jesus. No, we're going to tell our kids that the call of Jesus is to, call, is to come and follow me, to live in obedience to him, to not just know about him, but to move, to act to respond to his lead, to obey. The life of a Christian is one in which our faith is being perfected as we follow Jesus. There's movement. Is there movement in your life? Spiritually, is there movement in your life? You heard Pastor Andy talk about he spent an, a, a month in three verses in 2 Corinthians. The Holy Spirit has his heart right there in that passage. He's squeezing that, squeezing that passage for all it's worth, and he'll never be able to squeeze it dry. But are, is there movement in your life? Do you sense that the Holy Spirit is moving you along and showing you what it means to follow him? And how can we follow Jesus if our eyes are not on him? Right? How can you follow Jesus? If your eyes are not on him. Again, how do we follow? How do we how are our eyes on Jesus? Study the word. We pray. We ask the Lord to help us, to give us wisdom. The Holy Spirit who dwells within us guides us. Over and over again, our kids this week are going to learn what it looks like to follow Jesus, to go all in for him, to keep their eyes on him. And church, what a joy it would be for our kids to go home to parents and to see other adults in our church who are just as committed to following Jesus as they are, who are just as excited to follow Jesus as they are, who are setting the tone of obedience and faithfulness to Jesus, who are modeling what it looks like to have their eyes on Jesus. Dads, I think that perhaps one of the most impactful things that we can do for our kids is allow them to regularly, regularly and randomly catch us in devotional time. Not, not staged, not, I, I know my kids are going to be walking in the kitchen at 7.15, so let me quick go sit down and open the Bible and act like I'm reading it. No, I mean, I mean on a regular basis, they know where you are and what you're doing because they've seen you. Reading the word, praying. When decisions need to be made, they understand that you are going to pray about that. That your response is not a, a, not a quick, immediate answer, but rather, let's pray about that. Let's ask the Lord about that. Let's seek the Lord. Let's, let's, let's keep our eyes on Jesus. 
the author and perfecter of our faith. What a joy it would be for our children who are gonna hear this all week to catch the vision of every member of missionary taking the gospel across the street and around the world and to go home to parents who have caught the vision and are setting the tone in their home. And conversely, what a disappointment it would be, I think, for these kids to get excited about their faith life and to think and to realize the children of this church are more committed to the faith than the adults. May that never be, amen? It won't be, amen? Amen, amen. We believe at Wildwood Church that, that that vision, every member of missionary, we believe that the Lord would have us equip and send every member of our congregation into the world taking the gospel across the street and around the world, into our homes, into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces and our schools, into the places that we play, in the, in, in the playgrounds, in the parks, in the gyms, locally, nationally, and globally. And further, we believe that the Lord has impressed upon us to raise up 50 full-time, long-term, no-holds-barred, blank-check-to-Jesus missionaries out of this congregation in the next 24 years. And I believe that many, if not most of them, are currently in our nursery, in our preschool, and in our children and youth ministries today. Adults, obviously we want this next generation to catch that vision, to recognize that going all in for Jesus is not only good, but is how we ought to live. That, that there's really no other way to live than to be all in for Jesus. We obviously want our children to catch that vision and for them to grow up and say, what are you going to do in life? Well, I'm going to ask the Lord and maybe I'm going to move my family to India or Cambodia or China or Vietnam or Afghanistan or Saudi Arabia. And we're going to go and we're going to say yes to Jesus before we even know his ask. We're going to give our yes. We obviously want this next generation to catch that vision. But parents, we can't sit on our adults. I'm not just talking about to parents, adults of Wildwood Church. We don't need to presume that it's only them that the Lord is calling. He may be calling some of you retirees. That it's not time to sit back on your laurels. It's time to go all in for Jesus. It's time for you to pack up and go and give your yes and write that blank check to the Lord. How will you know if your eyes are not on Jesus? How will you know? I guess the question is, shouldn't we be modeling that for them? What we want for them, shouldn't we be modeling that for them? If we desire that Jesus would impact them in such a way, should we not be desiring that Jesus would impact us in such a way? Right? It's easy to think, well, the next generation can do it. And the next generation will do it. But what about you? 
Are your eyes on Jesus, asking him where you should go and what you should do? I want to ask you, I want to, a pointed question, it's hypothetical, but I want you to ponder this for just a moment. Is anything too much to give to Jesus? What is he not worth in your life? What about your career? If the Lord said, you know what? You've built a career. It's comfortable, providing for your family. You've got a good life. Now give it up and follow me. What would your answer be? What about safety? You know, when we talk about going to Haiti, the first question is, is it safe? No, it's not safe. But it's good. No, it's not safe to go to Haiti. No, it's not safe to go into Satan's lair. And take the gospel. No, it's not safe to do that. But it's good. It's right. What if the Lord called you to go into an unsafe situation? Would you go? (laughs) What about family? If Jesus asked you to leave your parents, your adult children your siblings, your nieces, your nephews, your grandparents, your cousins, and move. Would you go? What about financial stability? Suppose that Jesus said, you know what? You're living pretty comfortable. I want you to give 50% of your income to support the work of the kingdom through the church. Would you do it? What about 25%? I feel like we're in that situation where, uh, what was it, uh, Abraham asked the Lord, will you spare spare it for for 10 people? Well, Well, what about for one? You know, how about 10%? If the Lord asks you to give 10% to support the work of his ministry through the local church, Would you do that? Or is it asking too much? What about your intellect? You got a brilliant mind, you're innovative, and you can make a lot of money for yourself focusing all of your effort, all of your intelligence, all of your innovation on this thing. And the Lord says, I want you to shift and I want you to innovate for the kingdom. Would you do that? You sacrifice your time, maybe sacrifice some success. Would you innovate for the kingdom? What about simply agreeing that the circumstance in your life that you find yourself is for God's glory, and that makes it good, even if it doesn't feel good. 
Are you willing to concede that? Is there any cost that is too high to pay for Jesus? I want you to be careful how you respond because I have no idea what's going on in your heart right now. But Jesus does. And unlike the cliche, it is not the thought that counts. We have salvation because Jesus did more than think about going to the cross. Jesus followed through. Jesus gave everything. It's not enough that Jesus had nice thoughts. It it is that Jesus went to the cross. And if our eyes are on Jesus, if we are looking to Jesus, how can we not see that he is the one that the author of Hebrews says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, the one who we have our eyes fixed on, the author and perfecter of our faith, who is working out our faith, who is building us up, who is leading us and guiding us, is the one who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus achieved what he was sent to achieve. The works prepared beforehand for him to walk in them, Jesus did them. He did the will of him who sent him. He is our perfect model of obedience. Christians, what is our job? We follow Jesus. And Jesus led by example. We keep our eyes on Jesus and Jesus held nothing back from the Father. There was no cost that Jesus said, I will not pay that. We keep our eyes on Jesus, and Jesus held nothing back. Paul said in Philippians 2, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Though he was God himself, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He held nothing back. He held nothing from God. But rather, he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant, becoming like us, suffering with us, and dying for us. And God exalted him, and God accepted his sacrifice on our behalf. And God seated him at his right hand in glory. And Paul continues in Philippians 2, 11, So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is God's own son. He died and he rose again on the third day, winning salvation, the forgiveness of sins for anyone who believes. That is the message that we are being sent out. That's what we've been entrusted with, to be sent out into the world to proclaim. And this is what we will be teaching our children, that they should give their entire lives to.
the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is worthy of whatever price we have to pay. The gospel of Jesus has been worthy of whatever price people have had to pay for 2,000 years. And he will always, Jesus will always, and the gospel will always be worthy of absolute surrender of your life and the life of your children and the life of your grandchildren and theirs. Part of what we do when we celebrate the Lord's Supper is we remind ourselves of the cost that Jesus paid for our, our salvation. It's a reminder. It's both a proclamation to the world of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and soon return, and it's a, procl- it's a reminder to us of the price that Jesus paid so that we would have salvation. And the time of reflection beforehand is, is meant to cause you to reflect upon this idea, do I really truly understand what Jesus did for me? Do I really understand the broken body and blood of Jesus? That that was necessary for my sin and for my salvation. It's one way that we keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and follow him wherever he leads. Because how can we, at the same time, and I'm going to ask you to do this, how can we take communion and say, Lord, what do you want for our life? What do you want from me? What does it look like? What does right look like? What does obedience look like? How can we put these two things together and then walk, step back and keep something on the table? Like, Lord, I'm going to give you this area of my life. I'm going to give you this area of my life, but this area of my life? No. How can we do that? What does it look like to go all in for Jesus? What does it look like to give your yes before you even know the ask. I want you to consider if there's a price that you are unwilling to pay as we reflect. And then I want you to decide to go all in. Amen? Father, we thank you for Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, help us to examine our hearts Help us to discern the body and the blood of Jesus Christ broken and poured out for us to make us free, alive, together with Christ, forgiven, heirs of eternal life, co-heirs with Christ. Lord, if 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 we're holding anything back, I pray, Lord, that you would gently prick our hearts and we would surrender that today. Lord, I pray that the adults of this congregation would set the tone and set the pace for the children to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks so much for watching online. I hope that this message has inspired you to greater faith, has encouraged you, maybe convicted or challenged you. We're grateful to be able to provide this content to you online, live and on demand. 
If you haven't done so already, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube so that we can get this content right to you as soon as we upload it. But you know, we believe that as a follower of Jesus Christ, that you need the body of Christ. You need the local church. And so if you're in the Quad Cities, let me invite you to personally join us in person for our gatherings on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 1040. If you're not in the Quad Cities, I want to encourage you to go find a local church that teaches the Bible, that serves the community, that loves Jesus, that gives grace. Well, hey, thanks again for watching, and we hope that you were blessed.